Amen. Wow, you can grab a seat. You can grab a seat. Great to be with you this morning. If we haven't met, my name's Dean. It's, uh, it's great to have you here. And uh, I don't know if you know uh, my last name, but my last name can be hard to pronounce. Um, if you've ever seen it written, it, it can be hard to pronounce. It always would get mispronounced. When I was a kid, I remember being on a, a youth football team uh, at one point. I was like out in the field of practice, and a, a coach, I think he just wanted to yell at me, and he was like, hey, how do you say your last name? What is it? Is it Gro, Grot, Groet? What is it? And I was like, just call me great. And um, <laughs> I don't know how he came. And he, was, and he liked it. So then for the rest of the time I played for him, he called me Great Singer. So it was, um, but my last name, it, it, it's, uh, it's a German name. And it's actually, uh, in English, it comes out Gretzinger. Gretzinger. Now, hands up if you've ever mispronounced my last name, if you've ever said it, mispronounced it. Um, I appreciate your honesty. And did we get that on film? Like, can we see those hands? I just want to, uh, I didn't notice uh, Pastor Michelle was your, did you have both hands up? Yeah, that's that. Uh, no, just kidding. Uh, but uh, my last name, I remember at one point trying to figure out what it actually meant, like where did this come from? And I did some research, or, and, and you know, that means a Google search, I think. I can't remember, but. Looked, and, and it was like, yeah, nobody really knows where this can't name, like what it means, where it comes from. It's a German name. The only uh, guess that I found in, in my research was that it could be uh, that the first part, the G-R-O-E-T, comes from the German word for kind of grotto, which means cave, you know. So the first part might be kind of referring to a cave. And then the zinger uh, is also kind of similar to the German word for singer, one who sings. And that actually my last name, the only thing I could ever find is that it, it might mean one who sings in a cave. <laughs> and, uh, and if you're here last week, you know it's pretty appropriate for me that the cave appears to be the most appropriate place for me to sing uh, by myself alone in a cave. But uh, here's what I want to talk about today uh, uh, is actually on a, a slightly different tack, but that actually uh, we're in this series. It's called The Roar That Changes the World. And we're looking at uh, the Hebrew words for praise that we come across in the Psalms. These are words that talk about worshiping God and worshiping with our voices uh, and in different ways. Uh, and all this, the roar that changes the world, is when we become part of the kind of the chorus of worshiping God with our voices. Uh, and what I'm going to suggest to you today is that I think one of the keys to this is that what God actually wants for every one of us is to learn to be uh, one who sings praise in and from a cave. That actually I think he wants all of us to be cave singers. And that doesn't mean you need to take my last name if you're freaked out. You know, yeah. what? No. I, but I think that what God wants for us, if we're to become the kind of worship people, he wants us to be the kind of people who can worship, who can praise him in a cave. Does that sound good? Do you want that? You don't, do you? You really don't. I know. You know where it's going. You're like, no, no, I'm not interested. Take your cave singing stuff and go. But we got to look at this because what we're doing with this here is looking at what, how does God, what kind of praise does he want from us? What does it look like? And what I want, you know, if you're new here, you don't normally come to church, you sort of thinking, what is, why do we sing? What is all this about? Can I tell you something? This is, we don't just sing songs together. We gather to praise and to worship God. And when we do that in the ways that God invites us to, what I would suggest to all of us is that is when we become most fully human. It's when we become most fully what God created us to be. 
He's put something in you. He's put something in me. And, and when we begin to do that, to learn how to praise him, we actually, and it, and it changes our world. It changes how our Monday goes and our Tuesday and our Wednesday, our whole week. It changes. And as we change, our world changes. And so, but what we're going to look at today is what does it look like to become someone who praises God from the cave? We looked last week at two Hebrew words. Who remembers what the first Hebrew word was from last week? Shabbat. Excellent. And what, was that? what did Shabbat mean? Does anybody remember what Shabbat meant? It was to shout. It was to shout. It's that kind of praise that we shout, where we roar, where our voices and our shouts come together to become that roar. Uh, and then what was the second word we learned? Tehillia. Hey, do you guys know I literally forgot that one down in Malu this morning? And um, this isn't recorded, is it? <laughs> That's right. You're right. I was like, what are you talking? You're right. Tehillia. What was Tehillia? Anybody remember that? A new song. A spontaneous song, a new song is what God's doing. That's good. It was um, testing everyone today. And um, what was the third one we learned? Barak. And what did that mean? To kneel, to bow with our eyes fixed on the king. Now today we're going to learn two more. And these are two words that emerge out of what it's like to praise God from the cave. Now here's what the cave is. We're going to look at a psalm that was written today. Uh, psalm 57 is written by David who wrote so many of the psalms. And Psalm 57 was literally written in a cave. Here's David's kind of trajectory. This is what it looks like to be in the cave. Put yourself in David's shoes for a moment. David, when he was a teenager, had kind of like big breakthrough. Killed Goliath, giant. Rescued a whole nation. Goes from unknown guy to now kind of, wow, they're singing songs about him. Hype is everywhere about him. Uh, Saul, the king, has put him in charge of all kinds of armies. He's winning battles left and right. He's been anointed and picked to be the next king of Israel. All the arrows are up and to the right for David. Now Saul, though, doesn't like just how good things are going for David. Saul's the current king. He feels a bit jealous of David, jealous of how good everything is for him. And he gets so angry at him that he literally wants to kill him. And so he's plotting to kill him. David now has a king and all of his resources, his armies, everyone at his disposal want to kill him. He has to flee. He takes off running. He ends up with the Philistines. That's who he's also defeated in battles. He realizes this is no good. These guys want to kill me too. When this is all taking place in his life, and you can read the kind of this whole story around 1 Samuel 20, 21, right through those chapters of Scripture. We're told for one of the only times in all of Samuel that David is at a point in his life where he is literally very afraid. It's one of the only times the phrase gets used him. David says he's very afraid. And so he ends up having to flee from these guys. He has to flee from Saul and he's just living in caves. He's going to end up spending the better part of his 20s probably moving around in caves and rocky areas out in the wilderness just fleeing for his life. And while he's out there fleeing from Saul, he writes this psalm, this song of praise. And we're going to look at it and see what it's like to praise God from the cave. He says, have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. You know, this is an interesting phrase as well because you see a lot of people would have thought David's refuge was the cave, that that was his hiding place. David says, no, no, my refuge is in God. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Imagine that kind of disaster following you around. Literally, everywhere you go, people want your life. They are plotting to kill you. And so he says, I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and he saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. Notice how even in the midst of the cave, he's beginning to speak as though God is rescuing him. And then he articulates his situation this way. He says, I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell 
among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. You know, I love this verse 4 there. We'll go back to verse 4. When David's in the cave, one of the first things you'll see him do, and if you want to be someone who can praise God from the cave, this is step one and you can't go past it. You'll never become a good praiser of God in the cave if you miss how David begins this particular psalm and many others that are like it. And he begins this by naming the situation he's in, by identifying this is my current reality. He says things like, I'm in the midst of lions. I have to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. People are saying things about him, twisting his words. So the whole world thinks he's a villain. And armies are after him. This is David naming where he is. Can I tell you something? If you want to be able to praise God from the cave, and the cave is that place where you're beginning to question and wonder about where is God in your life. The cave is that place where it's like the pain is feeling so great. You have every reason to wonder, I thought these were where you were taking me. I thought, you know, I mean, you think about David. I thought I was going to be king. I thought it was all going well. I was serving you with integrity. I was doing all these things. How did I get here? Why is this happening? That's the cave moment when you're just going, God, where are you in this? And sometimes in that moment, we don't want to praise God. But if you're going to become someone who can praise God in the cave, as we see in David, you have to be willing to name current reality. You have to be willing to kind of go, this is where I am. This is what I'm feeling. Can I tell you something? One reason sometimes we don't get to that point of praising is where you don't want to become honest with our own disappointment, frustration, pain, or, or any of the above. We, we'd rather either sometimes just ignore it, but if you just ignore the pain, you can't really praise God. Because your, your praise will be superficial at best. It's actually a huge step to be able to be willing to go, God, this is where I am. This is what it feels like. Part of how God's wired us up is that if we're going to ever move past that pain, we have to be willing to engage that pain, to see it, to feel it, to name it. And somehow, in the midst of doing that, something begins to heal and begin, begin to shift. But as long as we refuse to look at it or are unwilling to, to engage with God about it, and that's the thing, notice as well, when David names it, he's not just kind of sitting complaining to himself. He's speaking to God about it. He's saying, God, this is what it feels like. This is where I am. It's the beginning point. Now, I think there's probably a couple kinds of us here. If we want to be good cave praisers, uh, for some of us here, you'd rather not engage with the pain at all. You just want to skip to the praise. And if you're going to become a good cave praiser, you actually have to do what David did and cultivate this kind of habit and discipline of talking to God about your pain. Uh, you know, David's a bloke. And to be honest, probably a lot of the people who struggle to do this are often blokes. You know, David is like, he's a warrior, king, poet, songwriter. He's just kind of this all-out liver for God, and he's willing to even kind of talk about this is what's going on. This is so huge. Now on the other side, so some people would rather just totally ignore it, but there will be others who, here's the other temptation with kind of naming the pain, is wanting to kind of stop there, is wanting to get stuck there, to just go, well, this is my reality, and, and it almost becomes all-consuming and all you can see. And what we'll see is David does something different. Watch what David does next. He's named, this is what it is. This is what it's like. But then his next words are, but be exalted, O God, 
above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. You know what you're going to see David do, and this is a huge part of praise, is he's going to start to lift his vision from just the pain that's in front of him to a bigger vision. That yeah, I'm experiencing this, but guess what? God, you are above all of this. God, you're above the heavens. So God, let your glory be over all the earth. He's going to begin to see something greater. He says, they spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. That's where I was. That's what I'm feeling. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. He's going to begin to kind of, and none of this has kind of happened yet. He's still on the run. He's still in the cave. But David's beginning to lift his eyes and see a bigger vision. To say, I'm not denying the reality of where I am, but David's going to start to go, but I'm affirming a greater reality that's over everywhere I am. God, his glory over all the earth. You know, to be a great uh, praiser even in the caves is to be able to hold these two things. You know, I was reading, rereading, a, there's a, a phrase called the Stockdale Paradox. It was coined by a guy named uh, Jim Collins. He writes lots of books uh, in his book years ago called Good to Grady. He coined this phrase, the Stockdale, Stockdale Paradox. And he, it came from, if you're not familiar with it, he had a conversation with this guy, Admiral James Stockdale. He was a, uh, the highest ranking uh, officer in the Vietnam War who was in a particular group of prisoners of war who were in the Hanoi Hilton, basically where they were prisoners of war who were tortured for about seven or eight years. He was one of the, of the kind of few who survived and, and lived through the experience. And Jim Collins was reading his autobiography, uh, preparing to be able to meet this, you know, kind of incredible leader, and he wanted to see what made him tick. But he said he was reading his autobiography, and he was sort of reading it, and, and he kept reading about the experience. These guys are like locked in a tiny cell, light, 24 hours a day, any moment, not knowing, they could be grabbed and taken just off to be tortured. He's reading all this, and this is going on for years. And he said he was reading it, and he started to get depressed just reading it. And then he was like, I'm getting depressed reading this, and I know that he gets out at the end. And he started to think, how did he go through this pain and not lose hope himself, not get depressed himself, not kind of lose the plot. And so he sits down with him at breakfast and he gets to talk to him and he's like, can you tell me like what, how did you do this? You know, what's kind of unique about you? And Stockdale said, well, the first question that Collins actually asked me, he said, you know, who were the people who didn't make it out? And Stockdale says, oh, that's easy. It's the optimist. And he says, the optimist, what do you mean? I would have thought you would have had a hold on to hope. He said, no, the optimist, uh, what I mean is the people who just sort of thought, no, nah, no, nah, it won't be that bad and we'll get out of here quick. He said there'd be people and they'd be like, no, no, it'll be all good. We'll get out of here by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And he said they just die of a broken heart. He said the people who made it were those who were able to, and this is, becomes the Stockdale Paradox. He says the people who could confront the most brutal aspects of their reality, the brutal truth, he calls it, and yet not let go of the sense we will prevail. And the people who wouldn't make it were those who either wouldn't acknowledge actually how rough it is or those who would let go of actually believing that they could still prevail. And Stockdale says this. This is in his own words. He says, he says, well, you have to understand it was never depressing because despite all those circumstances, I never, ever wavered in my absolute faith that not only would I prevail, get out of this, but I would also prevail by turning it into the defining event of my life that would make me a stronger and better person. 
And what I just love about that and want to say to you today is you think about what it's like. Because I think if we're going to praise God the way he wants, we have to know this. We can't just praise him from the mountaintops. We sang this earlier. We are to praise him when we're in the valleys. We're to praise him when we're in the caves. If we, they, and, and we do that, not by ignoring. Don't ever come in here and think it's sort of like, no, 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 just kind of put that to the side, pretend it doesn't hurt. No, it hurts. But we become people who can praise God by being willing to both be able to understand current reality, but then to say, but I know this, there is a greater reality. There's a bigger reality. Despite where I am, there's a Lord who is over all the earth. Do you know David takes it so far that he is praising God and thanking God for things that haven't even happened yet. Do you know in Psalm 56, which was written in a similar time frame, he puts it this way. He goes through a similar process in the beginning part of the psalm. And then Psalm 56, 12, he says, but despite all this, despite what I'm experiencing, I'm under vows to you, God. I've given my life to you. That's what he's saying. I decided I'd follow you. So even though it's not gone the way I hoped, he says, I will present my thank offerings, my todah to you. Can you say todah? Todah. Todah. <laughs> Ta-da! This is the good one. This is big. I don't want you to forget it. This is huge. If you're going to be a praise God from the cave kind of person, you have to be willing. This word todah, it's a word often translated praise. It means thank offerings. And he says, for you have delivered me from death, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. David wrote this way before he'd experienced any deliverance. David wrote this while he was still on the run. See, this word todah, it means, it's literally, uh, it literally means an extension of your hand and in, in an offering, a sacrifice of praise. Uh, todah is, is to actually, uh, the thing that makes it kind of unique is it is often a thanksgiving for things that have not yet received. It's to say to God, I know this is where I am today, but despite what I see, I affirm, Lord, I am thanking you because I know there's a bigger picture. I'm thanking you for what's yet ahead. I'm thanking you that you're still over all things. That's what Todah is all about. And David uh, talks about, you know, even now I'm going to offer Todah. Do you know, being willing to offer Todah to God, this is a huge part of being somebody who can praise God from the cave. There is a, get, get this for a moment. Because you might be in this situation or you might have just come out of a situation where you feel like you're in the cave or, or you may end up in one. But there is a certain kind of praise you can only offer to God when you're in the cave. If we're to be people who are worshipers of God, man, there's a certain kind of praise. The only time you could give it to him is when you can't yet see what's up ahead. You know, I love what Stockdale says at the very end of this part. He actually says to Jim Collins, he says, you know what, I was one of the lucky ones. And Collins says to him, what, why are you lucky? And this is what he says, you know, who would, none of us would think he was lucky uh, you know, or that, man, I'm lucky to end up seven, eight years a prisoner of war. But Stockdale says, Jim, you realize I'm the lucky one. I said, no, I don't. That's Jim Collins. And Stockdale said, yes, because I know the answer of how I would do, and you never will. I'd never really paused on that part of that conversation before. He says, I know the answer to how I would do in that moment, and you never will. 
Now, I'll put my hand up and say, I'm cool not to know. <laughs> like, I'm, I think I'm, I'm going to take a guess, and I'm going to be all right with that. But what I love about that picture, it's not the kind of, but, you know, Stockdale was able to go, I know, I know how I would respond in that situation. Do you know there are moments in life where there are things that can be revealed about our love for God that can only be revealed in those moments. There, there are moments in life where our praise is, is shaped, is, is tested, is refined. There's moments in life where, and, and if you can offer, there's praise that can only be offered at times when you're in a cave. Do you know, David, he, he goes on, now this is not easy, okay, let's just accept. This is not easy, okay. Nobody's going to be like, Dean, I love the one about when we got to praise God even when we're in a cave. They're going to be like, that's my favorite, my favorite kind of praise. No. But we got to, if we're going to be the kind of worshipers God wants us to be, we've got to understand these things. And, and here's what I love about David in the cave in Psalm 57. Watch how he does this. Because it's not easy. It's not easy just to, David, here's what he does. His next verse, he says, look, my heart, oh God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. Some say my heart is fixed. You start to get this sense. I mean, David has started, he's frustrated, he's surrounded by lions and, and beasts and people who want to kill him. But now he's beginning to kind of build something up in his heart. You're going to feel it build. He's like, you know what? But no matter what's going on, my heart is fixed. It's fixed on you, God. My heart is steadfast. He says, I, and here's what I'm going to do. I will sing and make music. I will make zamar. Let me hear you say zamar. Zamar. Zamar is when you literally make music. It literally means to pluck the strings of an instrument. It is to, uh, it is to celebrate in song and music. David says, you know what I'm going to do while I'm in this cave? I'm going to start to make zamar to God. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to grab my harp and I'm going to start to play and make some music. You know, zamar... Uh, is such a, he, and he starts to hear him kind of building, awake my soul. He's kind of getting himself going. Awake harp and lair. I will awaken the dawn. And you're starting to see him build something in his spirit and build something in his heart of praise. I love it. And think about it for a moment. Just go back there. I will awaken the dawn. You're like, this dude is not messing around, is he? I will awaken the dawn. I'm going to get out my harp. And I'm going to play that thing, and I'm going to sing, and I'm going to shout. You know, there is something about when you are in the cave. There's something as well about the power of music. Do you know music? And, you know, we, we, we have uh, musical instruments. We put, you know, we have amazing musicians. Who come here. Every Sunday we make music. We make zamar. We don't just sing. Just know that. We aren't just like playing songs. We're making zamar. We're plucking those strings to honor God, to praise him, to say, Lord, you're worthy. We're going we're gonna to pluck the strings. We're going to get out the music. We're going to sing and shout to you. We're going to make zamar. Zamar is so huge. You know why we do this? Because music, it just does something in our soul. Can I tell you something? If you're in a cave, one of the most powerful things to do is don't, you know, is to continue to make music and get amongst it like that. Do you know music has so much power? I, it changes circumstances. It changes the way we feel. It changes the way we experience things. You know, there's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a clip. There's this uh, clip a few years back. These guys started taking famous scenes from movies, and they would remove the music, like well-known music. they take it out, and you watch this scene, and you're like, it, you, you know, 
somehow when you get rid of the music, it just kind of just totally messes with it. So this is a scene from the original Star Wars. And most of us, even if you've never seen Star Wars, you know the music. And it's like famous music. And it's kind of victorious. And they took this famous scene where in the original one, there's like a trophy presentation. If you, normally it's like this incredibly victorious moment. And it kind of gets turned into, you see what it's like with no music. And suddenly what was once victorious is like, Completely, have a, have a look at this. Have a look at uh, just a quick clip here. painfully awkward with no music and you're just like just stop just like stop already and if you go and you if you ever seen that scene and you watch it it's normally it's triumphant it's victorious you're like this is it and just music literally does something so if you ever wonder why we make zamar every sunday why it matters it literally has the power to change your experience. You know, and, and could, to, like if you just yanked all the Zamar out of this place, the, the, we would, the, the life, you'd suck the life out of it in lots of ways. Now I'm not saying if like we lost the power, we're going to be awesome. But when you actually, music does something. You know, I've heard people say sometimes like, well, you shouldn't use music this way or that. Because don't you know music could kind of manipulate people's emotions? I'm always like, are you kidding me? Who do you think created music to speak to our emotions? <laughs> like, who do you think invented the idea that a chord change can do something in your heart? Who do you think created the idea that a major chord can speak a kind of victory and, and lift your spirit? And that a minor chord can help you express a sense of longing or loss? Like, who it, God created music, and he created it to speak a language that goes past logic and speaks to our soul. And just know that when we bring music, like this is why we do it. It actually ushers us into like music. Is, it's God's creation. And we just discover 
We just name it. I'm always amazed that there are new songs still to be written. <laughs> I'm like, you tell me, like, after all the thousands of years of making music, like, there's still new stuff to be written. Like, didn't we arrange it all? Didn't we, like, are we done? Are we? But God, in his infinite creativity, has built music to be what it is, scales and octaves and chords. And, and when we take that and offer it as a mark, something powerful happens. Do you know, uh, one of the, the I, I think, things that I just, I guess, would hope you, you, you can grab hold of with this. It's just the power of, like, literally gathering to make Zamar to God. And it's power to actually carry you through a season of being in a cave. Do you know what I love about David is he says, awake my soul, awake harp and lyre. I am going to pluck this thing. I am going to make music. You would think that for David it might have been like, I'm in the cave. This harp has been nothing but trouble for me. The harp is what he played that got him, you know, favor to even know Saul, that led to going to Goliath, all these things. His harp was his life. You would think that when everything was going wrong, he might have said, forget the harp, God. I'm sick of it. It's not going well. It's not going right. But that's not what he does. He says, awake. You know what I'm going to do, God? I'm stuck in a cave. I feel like it's all going wrong. I feel like I'm being pursued by lions. God, I will get my harp out. And I will make Zamar to you. Don't ever, can I tell you this, and you may need to just remind yourself of this for a someday thing. But it's one of the best things I can tell you today. When things are going wrong, do not put the harp on the shelf. David did not put the harp on the shelf. He didn't ignore the pain he's in, but he said, I'm going to grab my heart, and I'm going to make some mar to God. Do you know, I know for myself, whenever I read that or I think about that or I think about kind of where David was at in these spaces, it was probably 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, I'm not sure, before we had our, our son Levi, our, our first pregnancy ended in a, an early term miscarriage. It was the first of four, two before Levi, two after, and that first one, to that point in my life was the greatest pain and disappointment, you know, that I had felt. Um, still one of those up there painful moments and through a whole season. And I remember, you know, that pain and, and kind of the rawness of it and, and the, the different wrestles and things that would go through it. But I remember being at, in worship on Sunday, you know, the, the first Sunday kind of after and and we ran a, a youth service in those days. I was a youth pastor. And while the main service was going on, I would run a, um, a service just for youth at the same time. Like 10 years ago, youth pastors work hard, Riley. It was, um, I just want you to know. Uh, <laughs> uh, ravenous, sharp swords, teeth. and no, but, uh, but I remember being in there, and one of my good friends, he's a youth leader, and he was leading worship. And I can picture him, you know, you remember a lot of things from those kinds of moments so vividly. And he had his guitar, and he was singing this song that we would sing a lot back then, and it was called Blessed Be Your Name. Uh, and I can remember him, you know, singing it in the, in, the, in the song, you know, and probably a part of me at first felt like, you got to sing that song today. And, and, but it had this refrain in it, and I can just still remember singing it so well that day and right through a whole season. And the refrain of that song says, you know, you give and take away, speaking of God, you give and take away, you give and take away. But then it says, but my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. And when you're in a cave, 
It's that choice to say, I will choose to say, blessed be your name. I will choose to say, God, let your glory be over all the earth. I will choose to say, I'm going to grab my harp off the shelf. And I'm going to join in the zamar. Not because I'm trying to fake it or I don't, but just to kind of, but because I know this is true over here and this hurts and it's painful, but this is true over here and this is bigger and it's overall. That's what Todah is all about. God, I'm going to offer praise to you. I'm going to offer thanks to you before I even know how it happens. I'm going to give you a praise that I can't give you in any other season. I'm going to give you a praise that I can only give you right now. And I'm going to I'm going to make Zamar. You know, one of the things that always happens, I see it so often, is people can hit a painful spot or a tough spot, and the first thing they want to do is stick the harp on the shelf. It's one of the worst things you can do. Don't ignore the pain. Speak to them about it. Engage with them about it. Pray to them about it. But as you open your heart and your soul to him, make that choice inside to say, but yet my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Great are you, Lord, over all the earth. You know, this morning I'm going to invite the team up, and we're going to sing one last song of praise today. And I want to just encourage you, you know, this series and what I believe God wants to do, and, and there's, there's some of you today that you maybe just, you need to know this, you need to hear this, you need to know. You know, God sees you where you are. He sees, you know, the pain. He knows it, it's not all good. You know, one of the experiences I have with some frequency, is I'll meet someone who's never been to church before, and they'll say to me, um, and I'll ask them after, you know, kind of how was your experience or how was that today, and they'll say, man, that was kind of strange, you know, I think, that, and I'm like, you know what, did you notice anything? And one of the things I've, I've heard multiple times is people say to me, I, it's just weird everyone's so happy. <laughs> and they're like, everyone's just so happy. And I, it always strikes me off guard because I'm like, nobody seems happy. <laughs> no, I'm not just kidding. <laughs> Maybe it's, maybe it's the people I talk to. I don't know, but <laughs> it always catches me off guard. I'm like, ah, oh, but I, but honestly, the reason they catch me because, and if you come to gather as a church, you know, regularly, um, you actually start to take for granted some of what you experience in this community. You know, you, you start to take for granted the relationships and the joy. And actually, there's probably more people you'll see hug one another and smile and uh, encourage one another and. Um, you know, all those things, they, they kind of happen. The language sounds a little different. Everything's a little, and, but people will say it to me, and then they'll say some version of, but I don't know if I could fit here because, you know, all these people seem so happy. Their lives must be fine. They must be good. And I'm wrestling with some stuff, or I've got some addiction, or I've got some problems. And every time I talk to them, I'm like, you have no idea. You think everybody's happy because everything's going right? Nothing could be further than the truth. And every time I tell them, I'm like, I know that's what you think because you see it. But if you knew the stories of where people have come from and what they're going through and what's happening, you would not, you wouldn't believe it. Because the happiness, and I'm like, it is not a fake happiness. It's not like people are just pretending. I'm not going to say that never happens, but for the most part, it's not people are pretending. But it's that people have found a hard-won joy on the other side of pain. You know, the, the thing that makes the Christian life unique is not that there are no caves. Pain comes to everyone. 
the thing that makes the Christian life unique is that you learn to praise God and find joy in and from the case. That's what makes us different. We want to be different in the world. We have to learn how to praise God from the case. And we don't ignore it. We hold on to it. We speak to him about it. We get it out. But we don't let go of the heart. And we hold on to the greater reality that we know is there. And if we do that, I promise you, I know it myself, it brings healing. It, it Sometimes it changes circumstances, but it always changes the experience. It changes what you go through. And man, as you come through those seasons, you, you, you get to on the other side of some of those caves, some of the greatest praise, but there's a praise you can only offer in the cave. Can you stand with me? And we're gonna praise God. And some of you, I, I can tell you, I know, there'll be some who are here and you're in a cave. There's some who are here and you're in a mountaintop. But as we sing this next song, can we just take a few minutes to just zamar? And I wanna encourage you, especially if you're here today and you find yourself in a cave or you find yourself in that, you know, kind of challenging place. That even as we sing, you may need to take the first part of the song and you don't sing along, but you just open up your heart and pour some stuff out to God, that's fine. But at some point, perhaps in this song, would you be willing to offer todah to him? You know, and this is something every one of us can do to just, I love that in the Hebrew, it's literally, it's to extend your hand in thanksgiving and praise. That as we sing, and maybe you're not normally somebody who do something like that, but to just go, Lord, I want to offer you todah. I am willing to just say, Lord, no matter, no matter where I am today, I offer a sacrifice of praise. I extend my hand to you, Lord. I declare that you are good. Let's sing. Let's 